Indeed, there are more questions than answers. Like, can fat people go skinny dipping? And if all is not lost, then where is it? My name is Adrian Lee and I am your host. Hi America, hello world. Welcome to the show, more questions than answers. The only paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world. Each week my guests and I will search the world's newspapers, websites and TV shows just for you to bring you the very best in paranormal talk radio, entertainment and enlightenment. We will then test each other's knowledge of the week's events of the mysterious, strange, supernatural, unusual, bizarre and just plain weird. If you have just tuned in especially to hear the show, then I admire your taste. If you have just tuned in by accident, then I admire your luck. I am huddled under my quilt with a large flashlight and a nice cup of tea with tonight's guests, somewhere in the barren wildernesses of the Midwest Plains, with the sound of my elderly mother snoring distantly from the room next door. So snuggle under your covers, turn out the light and hold on tight. The rules are very simple. Points will be awarded randomly for being interesting and for making me laugh or shiver in horror. To help me control my rowdy panel of recidivists and reprobates, I will employ what I have called the inappropriate bell. An example of this would be... The panel have no idea what's coming, and I have no idea what stories they have for tonight's show, and we are completely live and unedited. What could possibly go wrong? So without any further ado, let me start by introducing tonight's guest panel. Firstly, the mysterious and evanescent Heather Morris. She has been a paranormal investigator for many years, with her own team called Hellhound Paranormal, and does all of her best work in the shadows. She is now the audio and EVP expert with the International Paranormal Society and brings her knowledge and research skills to tonight's show. Heather has spent all week trying to work out that if you make a cow laugh, does milk come out of its nose? How is that working for you, Heather? And welcome to tonight's show, by the way. You're welcome. Don't try that with a sperm whale, by the way. We also have the analytical and sceptical mind... Inappropriate, Bell. We haven't even started the show. How fabulous is that? We also have with us the analytical and sceptical mind of Kim Gore. Kim is also a talented and valued member of the International Paranormal Society. Kim has lost a lot of sleep this week researching why the word phonetic is not spelt the way it sounds. Welcome to the show, Kim. (laughs) Finally on tonight's show, I wish to introduce the calm and unflappable Greg Gore. He is married to Kim and we shall see if this is still the case after tonight's show. Greg is a paranormal investigator and tech expert. He owns and operates more cameras and leads than the BBC outside broadcast department. He is also our producer and sound mixer and has the ability to mute me at any time if I mean to him. 
Yay. Greg is illiterate, so gets a discount when buying Alphabet Soup. <laughs> <laughs> I was once called illiterate by a teacher at school, by the way, but I got the last laugh because both my parents were married. We've had a very interesting <laughs> week. Recently, of course, we visited the Mind, Body and Spirit Expo in Mankato, where I was doing psychic readings, and my team was with me. Greg, of course, was videoing many of the keynote speakers. And I just wanted to go around the room and uh, discuss very briefly before we start tonight's quiz show what people thought of that particular experience, because I know we haven't been to that expo before, and I did think it was a particularly good show in Mankato. So, Heather, what did you get out of that weekend? What things stuck with you in terms of what was there and your experiences? Well, I got a fabulous set of dousing rods that I've been playing with. So now you know where the water is all over the house and all over the yard. Right over the toilet bowl. There you go. They work. Yes, they do. And I think one of my favorite things, and I think Greg and Kim will probably say this, is they had aura photography there. But we won't discuss where I'm diminished in any way. So that's your root chakra then. Your root chakra's dried up, shriveled up and disappeared and gone away. It's dead. It's gone. Oh, red Jasper's what's required, I believe. I'm Who sorry. is he? I'm sorry to hear that. I'll get his phone number for you. Moving swiftly on before we're removed from the air, before we've even started. Kim, what kind of things stuck in your mind? What were your experiences of going around that expo in Mankato at the weekend? I had a blast just meeting new people, um, both vendors and customers. Um, made some friends that I think will probably last a long, long time. Uh, got contact information. Um, of course, like Heather said, the aura reading, one of the things is I'm supposed to wear yellow. A lot of yellow. That's uh, yes. The word yellow in French, of course, is jaune. And the word jaundice. And of course, yellow is then interlinked with your abdomen, isn't it? It's this chakra that's to do with your your upper intestine, I guess, and respiratory system so you need to wear yellow do you yes you're looking resplendent tonight in gray (laughs) (laughs) for those of us watching in black and white greg what did you take away from the weekend because you were very busy of course with your camera and uh videoing all the keynote speakers but when you weren't behind the camera what did you get up to well it was kind of fun going around to all the different vendors they had a very good mix of vendors wasn't you know just stones in, in one place and there was a mixture, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, was crystals, there was um, all kinds of healing taking place, of course. The thing I liked is the energy. I don't know if anyone picked up on that, but you walk into a room full of healers, full of crystals, full of various complementary medicines, of course, and treatments. And the, the place smelled wonderful. It did. It had a fabulous smell and the energy was incredible. You could feel it outside of the room. And uh, I did two solid days of psychic readings and normally that would really wipe me out. I, I go out of my way, of course, to ground myself and to make sure as much as possible that that doesn't happen. But the thing that I noticed was I came away on the Sunday evening still full of energy. And normally when I do a weekend of readings like that, I'm, I'm normally drained and wiped. So I, I think the energy in the room really helped in terms of what I was doing. But you're right, there was an eclectic mix of people there. And uh, I believe they're having another event. This is in Mankato. It's mind body and spirit expo and i believe they're having an event in the fall um i think it's in november isn't it november 15th yeah so maybe a bit later just going into winter there so if people are interested i know it's a long way away and we will advertise it again at the time but i would recommend that it's very small and bijou it's a fabulous place very intimate i guess is 
what I'm saying. For being small and intimate, there was approximately 1,000 to 1,300 people that went through there. They had a very good turnover. And of course, Mankato, I believe, is the fourth biggest town in the whole of Minnesota. So again, they do have a, an area to draw from. And people, of course, are coming from all over the southwest. I don't think there's many expos in and around that area. You know, when you do expos in the cities or in St. Cloud or Rochester, you know, there are other venues around and close to. But Mankato, Mankato kind of sits on its own, doesn't it? You know, out in the southwest and I guess draws people from many places. So I would recommend that for the fall and for uh, November there. So if you're interested, I shall certainly put details on our website closer to the time. We're wishing our lives away, aren't we? Because we've not even had the summer yet and we're talking about what we want to be doing in November. So let's jump into the show. There are points to be won. Our first round, of course, is Ghosts and Hauntings. And I'm going to start the ball rolling tonight. This is a story from India where it says, Exorcism in India, where a ghost fair lures believers. So we've been talking about an expo, a fair, and here's one in India for believers. Every spring, people gather in the village of Madhajapur in the state of Madhya Pradesh for a unique ghost fair. It's one of India's most celebrated festivals, an ancient event where exorcists rid the body of evil spirits. Amadas believes that a ghost has taken control of her sister-in-law, who has been shouting strange words for more than a month now. That's what I do every day. I shout strange words. I think she might have Tourette's, actually, rather than having a ghost inside. It would be my initial thought. I once had florets, of course, and I went round shouting cauliflower and broccoli to random strangers. <laughs> my sister-in-law must have been possessed by a ghost, she said. We've come to the ghost fair to pay our respects to the temple. They're treating her now, and I hope that she'll be cured. Head priest Yadaf is holding a broom and starts to beat the woman with it. After some time, he offers her some holy water and declares that she is now free from the evil spirit. There must be a lot of married men around the country becoming free of evil spirits on almost a daily basis. <laughs> we catch ghosts here and they never return to the body after we treat the patients, the priest says. We treat them by bringing them to the temple. Then we use brooms to chase away the ghosts, sweeping them away, I would suggest. A practice we've been using for hundreds of years. I wonder if you could do this on your own. I wonder if you didn't have any friends, you could just sit in a cold room on your own and beat yourself with a broom. Would that help? It says every year people from different areas come to be exercised. More than half a million people come each year, says local Mekam Singh Rajput. Anyone who comes here to pray will see his wishes fulfilled especially those who are possessed by evil spirits and ghosts. I will go on to continue this, but just initially, if you've got an evil spirit or an evil ghost in you, would that spirit not do everything possible to make you arrive at that fair and that temple? I mean, they're not going to go willingly, are they? Do you remember that several months ago I read an article about exorcisms that are available on the internet and the guy that was running them made the statement that if you are possessed... That spirit, that ghost, wouldn't let you get onto the internet to go onto a site that would allow you to be exercised. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Everyone's nodding in agreement, so I'm Flat glad tires, you're with me. overheated cars. Yeah, it just wouldn't allow you to get there, would it? So I find that very odd. Um, he goes on to say, people from different parts of the country visit this fair and get treatment at the temple. If you are looking for a miracle, then you should visit the temple. 
Perhaps the Minnesota Vikings need to pay a visit next year. What do we think? So I start the ball rolling there, ghosts, exorcisms and everything in India. Of course, what that article goes on to say is that people in India are illiterate and are uneducated in many rural areas. And they have genuine diseases, but they feel as if they go and use these ancient practices and ancient religious rites, it will cure them of things that perhaps modern medicine would have looked to have cured um, if they'd have had maybe the education to go and find those things. So there is a place in India for that. But a doctor later goes on to write that a lot of things, like the Tourette's, for example, she may have Tourette's and then it needs to be you know, managed, I guess, rather than going to the temple and being beaten with a broom for 15 minutes. So I'm not quite sure. Um, perhaps the way to go is to see a pharmacist before you beat yourself with a broom and buy some bits and pieces in Menards. I will say that I did go to Menards last year and I went to buy a spade because I thought I'll do a bit of gardening you know while I'm here and I'll, I'll plant a few vegetables that didn't actually turn out as well as one would have hoped but we did have crazy weather last year and the gentleman that was selling me the shovel the spade thought he'd be funny and he said to me as I was buying it I hope you realize you've got a left-handed spade and I said that's fabulous I'm left-handed and just walked <laughs> away so whether the guy knew I was being funny or actually thought that I was uh left-handed remains to be seen i am ambidextrous of course which means i can do nothing with both hands i should give myself points for such a fabulous start heather you are itching to jump in what story do you have for me tonight on ghosts and hauntings evangelical christians want access to more corpses can't they just go somewhere like corpse or corpses are us is that possible or a cemetery well, that's slightly more hard work, isn't it? Because you're going to need a left-handed spade at that point, I would suggest. Tyler Johnson runs a ministry called the Dead Raising Team in the U.S. He claims to have brought 11 people back to life. He says he even persuaded the authorities in his state to issue him an official photocard which lets him through police lines at car accident sites. Well, that explains Donald Trump then, doesn't it, in many respects? Uh, come again? <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> Johnson is unwilling to provide successful case studies. And in general, the proof that believers cite is a bit unconvincing. For example, there's an American heart surgeon who allegedly brought a heart attack patient back from the dead with prayer. That's his job. Oh, and a defibrillator. Oh, that helps us too. <laughs> Hold this while I put my hands together. Other doctors find How many story... times has that been said? Sorry, I will <laughs> Where's that bell? <laughs> I'm going to need a new bell by the end of the evening. Other doctors. How many times has that been said? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will let you. Con I promise. I promise. I will not interrupt until the end of your story. I'm so frustrated right now. I, I, that's your root chakra. <laughs> Other doctors find the story entirely unremarkable. One wonders why. The BBC's Jolly Lynn Jenkins then got to meet Alan and Donna Leppett a British couple who were convinced that the dead can be raised through the power of prayer. The evangelic loons were subject of BBC4 program called Out of the Ordinary, The Power of Prayer. During the course of the broadcast, Donna lamented that there aren't too many corpses in the UK that they can practice on. This reminds you of the Burke and Hare situation, doesn't it? You know, a couple of centuries ago where they had to go and do grave robbing, you know, just to find bodies to do medical science on. They need to be careful what they wish for. If you dig up a corpse and it does come back to life, then what happens? Do you see what I mean? I think what they're they're trying to get freshly dead people. Ah, oh. 
<laughs> so they just need to be hanging around a casino then. It's kind of like fresh frozen. <laughs> oh, fresh frozen. You could really start up a good business if you had the people who inherited from the dead person pay you to not dig them up. Oh, there you go. But it, there's a few bits and pieces in here where they claim that they actually did bring people back to life, but nobody has any proof. Where are they? Can't they start with Steve Martin's career? Is that possible? Oh, leave him alone. I love him. So do I. I want to see him in good films again. I'm desperate to see him in a good film. I'm sorry. I really like the man with two brains and all of his early stuff. <laughs> Things went downhill quickly. Poor Steve I would Martin. love to see him in a good film. Him. If there's an exorcist out there that can resurrect Steve Martin's career, then why you know, would they need an exorcist? They need the raising the dead team, not your story. Well, you're going to get minus points on the back of that. <laughs> why would Steve Martin need an exorcist? I have no idea. I shall contact him and we shall find out. You get points in abundance. You shall have two for your fabulous story of the story of bringing the dead Thank back to you. life. Kim, you need to make a start with your points. Where are you this week in the Towers of Ghosts and Hauntings? I'm going to do a follow-up story to Heather's story from the last episode. Yay! The dead Mississippi man who kept, kicked his way out of the body bag. And was still alive. Yes, I remember the gentleman. We had a long discussion about things that scare me. And uh, being put in a body bag while you were still alive was one of them. I believe the second one was having an octopus come up the toilet while you were actually doing the business. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, this was um, in Jackson, Mississippi. And for those of you that don't remember, his name was Walter Williams, and he was 78. Mm -hmm. And he died at about 1 a.m. local time in Lexington, two weeks after shocking people when he started breathing and kicking at a funeral home where he was taken after being declared dead. This was just before he was supposed to be embalmed. Oh. (laughs) Just when the guy had the tube in his hand and a bottle of embalming fluid. He now, two weeks later, has actually died. Has anyone checked this? Have they slapped him a few times? And <laughs> I'm pulled? wondering if the, how long they need to wait on this. I wonder if the shock of realizing you were still alive killed him. I don't know. I do like what his nephew had to say about it, though. His nephew says, I think he's gone this time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just knock on the coffin a few times before we start putting the dirt on top of him. Or maybe what we should do is to go back to Heather's story on this episode, and we need to get Tyler and his group over there. There you go. Yes, to bring him back again. Do you think he gets like a reduction if it's third time lucky or something like that? That would be amazing. (laughs) There have been stories where people have literally stumbled out of the coffin in Africa and kind of walked around the village in a shroud with people screaming. I mean, that's quite a common. Yeah, exactly. This is where this come from. I I don't don't know if you realize, but in Louisiana and in the deep south, it's so marshy and so boggy that the bodies do actually rise over a period of time, as any good farmer will tell you about stones and rocks making their way to the surface every year of their fields. The same thing happens with coffins. So I think some of the folklore and some of the tales about people rising from the dead, especially in the South, you know, with all the voodoo and everything they have in New Orleans, is partly down to the fact that they do actually break the surface quite regularly due to the wetness and how they, you know, come up. I actually went... Um, looking at graves and cemeteries in Holland a couple of years ago. I was in Amsterdam, and of course Amsterdam, I believe, is the lowest country on the planet. It's below sea level, and they're called the low countries, of course. So I went to the cemetery to have a look around. I I wasn't there just, you know, for tourist purposes. I've actually got some relatives that are Dutch, and I was looking for their graves, and uh, the graves were from the 16th, 17th century. But the mud and the water was actually rising to such a degree that the gravestones had sunk. They'd sunk completely 
into the earth so I couldn't then find any details of my family tree and relatives due to all the wetness and the marshes and the the rocks and the the stones and the coffins sinking in that particular location so that was very interesting fabulous stories what a fabulous start everyone's getting points in large amounts all of tonight's stories can be found in glorious technicolor for your perusal on our facebook site more questions and answers with adrian lee where you can see at your own leisure the graphic pictures and video footage that accompanies tonight's stories of the paranormal strange and bizarre we move quickly and quietly and stealth-like into the second round which of course is ufos and cryptozoology it's green men and hairy beasties heather would you like to kick off and start our second round for us you have a smile on your face <laughs> so it's obviously going to contain something to do with a toilet or nakedness or a hairy beastie or a hairy but well it is a hairy beastie round so that would be appropriate woman mistakes rabid raccoon for her cat <laughs> isn't there an advert where the lady goes out into the yard and calls her cat in yes there and the is. raccoon comes and sits on her this bed. is real it's real life ladies and gentlemen Ginny baloo was half asleep when she reached over to pat her cat pretty boy only the long-haired tomcat was nowhere in sight what baloo was running her fingers through instead was the coarse fur of a deranged raccoon of her husband's back Oh, <laughs> surely you Why? could smell a raccoon. Surely they smell. It's a wild. She was animal. seventy-three. She probably didn't smell anything. There you go. <laughs> the vicious animal had crept into the house through the he cat did door. He crept. <laughs> did into he the really? House. Did she manage to wipe that up and he clear that? He didn't crap. <laughs> That's lucky, apparently. In China, if a raccoon craps on your doorstep, you come into some money. Oh. Uh, <laughs> The raccoon was sneaking in beside the 73-year-old woman in bed before jumping on Baloo's face and locking on. Now, I have one question about that statement. Only one? I've got many. <laughs> How did the raccoon jump on the bed in the first place? Well, it must have been let in or come through the cat flap. No, 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 I get that. How did it jump onto the bed? Well, aren't raccoons capable of kind of climbing a couple of feet onto the bed? Or Why would it? How did it find her bedroom? I... It does have that nifty little mask on it. (laughs) So you're telling me it's it's already got the mask. It just needs a big bag with the word swag written on it. So police are looking for a raccoon with a swag bag. This is what we're saying. She had been sleeping on her bed and she thought it was the cat. And she went to pat it and found out that it was the raccoon. It began to attack her and it bit onto her mouth. Oh, my God. I know it. Well, it's French kissing now, is it? So she was expecting a little kiss from her cat and she fought it off bravely for at least two hours you want to know what she fought it off with and it was at least two minutes and i'm not joking wow i'm sorry she fought it off with her landline telephone which she used to smash it on the head as it ran out of the bathroom really <laughs> i thought then they were in the bedroom she's no, obviously chasing no. this around the house like an oh, episode of tom and jerry yeah it ran out of the bedroom and then okay it it ran into the bathroom and then she called 911. Was there a point where she jumped on a stool and shouted out, Thomas, Thomas? Oh, <laughs> the, the animal control officer, Leslie Badger, helps him no, do No, that. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. We're gonna, you can't get away this with not a, You a can't get away with that. It's true. It's right here. You're not telling me that the woman who comes to, to get rid of the raccoon, what was her name? Leslie Badger. Les Badger. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm not. Helps him do the raccoon 
And With the help of her friend Peter Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> and they took it to the veterinarian where it was euthanized and it tested positive for rabies. Oh, it's just a happy ending then. Yeah, so I have a question for you. If you kiss someone, do you get rabies? No. It kissed the woman. Did you ever reach over in the middle of the night to pat something and it bit you? <laughs> <laughs> Not since I was at boarding school in England. Wow. My dad told me once that he was taking my temperature. Oh, Oh no. Kim, oh, help no, me. No. Help me. Just for saying there's a woman called Les if Les Badger is uh is actually listening, then one can only apologize. But uh I mean that's the only job you could do, isn't it, if your name's Led Les Badger? That's shocking. In fact if the badger was female and it was kissing no, I won't go there. Don't okay. You have many, many points because you made me laugh. So you are now on a resplendent and healthy five. Kim, could Yay. you Compared to that, what have we got there? We are going to go to the section of aliens. Ooh, I'm liking that. Tennessee. A man claims light entities showed up in his bedroom Saturday while sleeping in a small country house in Tennessee. There wasn't a raccoon with a flashlight. Ooh, very alien. The witness, a 48-year-old man who asked to remain anonymous, says he was quite startled by the incident. I lost my legs when I was a kid. I can manage as much as the next person. It's not a big deal, really. So no one's buying him slippers for Christmas, I'm guessing. (laughs) I don't sleep much. I spend most of my bedtime reading and listening to the radio. I was about to go to bed, so I put my book down on the table next to my bed, and all of a sudden I see this bright light coming from the window. I thought a car was at the door, which is is unusual at that time of night. Why would a car be at a door? Well, in his next sentence is, or maybe it was the police. <laughs> I don't know. I was a little worried. There was a story of an old lady that said, this man just walked out in front of me. And the police officer said, well, you are in his front room, madam. She'd gone through the wall of the house. I just, he just reminded me of that. Well, I like the next sentence, too, because you know how when they're telling a story, they use the word allegedly. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, the man got out of bed and sat in his wheelchair next to the window. <laughs> okay. That made me laugh. (laughs) He's not Um, going to be standing in his wheelchair, is he, to be fair? (laughs) There was nothing there, not a soul, not that I could see. All I could see was light. I was blinded, really. Blinded. According to the witness account, the creature was emanating a blue light that kept the room illuminated. It looked like a lab with a blue color that reminded me of the movies or something. There was first the the first one that came through had a very, very blue light about it. And then after that, three more came into the room with a little bit less blue light. I wonder if the local youth are saying, let's go to Mr. Johnson's and shine the blue flashlight into his bedroom again. (laughs) One of the one of the stories are part of the story, though, that I do find interesting is this story actually came out last week. Um, And it says that after the four got into his room, they began holding hands around me. I was in shock. They began talking to me through their minds. I could hear them talking to each other. A war is coming to the old world, and the earthquake will hit soon. Ooh. They seemed to warn me about a big earthquake that is coming. Then they touched my shoulders and left, just like that. And I got to tell you, I didn't feel a thing when they touched me. Maybe a little warmth, but not pressure at all. And I find that interesting because of the quake that we had in California. Yes, yes, right, yes, yeah. Not so long ago, there was a, a quake in Los Angeles, and this story was actually before... That incident took place. Having said that, of course, there must be earthquakes taking place all over the world at various different times. But that's very strange. I often hear stories of people that are abducted by aliens and say that they all hold hands around a center console of their 
spaceship or their UFO, if you like. Hold Hounds. Hold Hounds, yes. Have you read the Hold Hounds <laughs> books by Sherlock Holmes? And, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for that collective thought in the idea that you can make a spaceship travel just by the idea of having a collective thought of where you want to go to. And I know they're doing research at the moment where they're getting pilots, you know, of the Air Force to have helmets on their head. And if two people are thinking about the concept of a plane taking off and they wire up their helmet, the plane actually takes off and they've realised if they do it with two pilots instead of one, the computer can take the average. So if one pilot is thinking, I need to take this plane off the ground and the other one's thinking, oh, I wonder if I put antifreeze in my car. When was the last time I called my mother? Did I pay my credit card bills? It takes the average. So obviously you can be easily distracted and it takes the average of those two pilots' thoughts to then make that remote-controlled aircraft take off. So they're working towards the concept that pilots will wear a helmet, just think about where they want the plane to go, and the plane will go there. But Didn't that's what's going on. feedback. There you go. Thank Didn't you very much. Didn't we um, do some checking, and, and there was actually that kids' game, and, and adults play it too, where it was like the mind control, and you move the ball through this obstacle course. That's right, and there's a fabulous YouTube video where they put the headset on a dog and the dog's making the ball <laughs> go was. through the obstacle course just by using its thoughts. But the dog did get distracted by licking its balls halfway through. So, yep. I will continue. I will continue. That's probably the only time that sentence has ever been said live on radio. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Um, I'm going to continue the theme of UFOs, and I will take us back to England, actually. It says, the local news... In the town of Gloucestershire in the southwest of England, reported on a beautiful sunset, pictures that captured an unidentified falling object plummeting out of the skies. Sarah Jane Stanley told the Gloucestershire citizen that she was out for a walk with her daughter when they spotted the object. She grabbed her camera and captured 15 photos of it. She says, I looked through my camera lens on full zoom and it appeared to have something at the tip of it and it was clearly visible on a downward descent. The object is spinning and glowing. Crazy although it sounds, it seems to be shaped like a claw and there is something glowing on it. Stanley says she sent the pictures to meteorologists at the Met Office and they told her that whatever it was, it was not weather related and suggested it could be something entering the atmosphere. They suggested she contact the Royal Observatory in Greenwich. There have been similar sightings, some apparently identified while others not. One remains somewhat of a mystery as a strange trowel photographed in the skies over Beaverton, Oregon. One viewer wrote, as it continued down, the trail behind it started to spread out, as you can see in the pictures. Then it lit up like a fireball. Jim Todd, director of space science education at the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry, told Fox 12 that it looked like something exploded, indicating it was a fireball. Although he notes in order for that to be the case, there would have been a sonic boom, which was not reported. The verdict is still out whether this was a fireball or a contrail, he said. If people wish to see those photographs and to see that footage, they are more than welcome to do so. All of tonight's stories are available for you to look at on the site. More questions than answers with Adrian Lee. That's on Facebook. Stay with me for more of the same after these short messages from our sponsors. The Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group meets bi-monthly to discuss all things paranormal. The group's primary focus is on the topic of UFOs, but they also delve into alien abductions, cryptozoology, Bigfoot, crop circles and ghosts. Come with an open mind and be prepared to discover the who, what, when, where, why and how of these phenomena. 
Meetings are from 7 to 9pm Central Time in the Banquet Room of the American Legion Club in Waite Park, Minnesota. For more information, visit their website, LAPIG.org. For people who believe that standing in a cold, dark basement in the middle of the night for hours on end is perfectly normal. And I believe I'm writing saying that on the 7th of April, I believe, although... People may have to check that on their website, LAPIG.org. Chad Lewis, the famous author of the Haunted Miniseries, uh, Haunted Road Guide, Mini, the Haunted (laughs) Miniseries starring Julia Roberts and Sandra Bullock, will be available (laughs) on that particular evening. He does all the road trips. He does the Minnesota road trips and road guides in Iowa, South Dakota. He does a fabulous lecture. He has a fabulous slideshow presentation. So if you get a chance to go along to that, you are more than Welcome to do so, and that's at LAPIG.org. The Minnesota chapter of the Mutual UFO Network MUFON meets the second Saturday of every month at the New Brighton Community Centre, New Brighton, Minnesota. Meetings are from 2 to 5 p.m. Central and include investigation reports, open mic, book reviews, videos and guest speakers. Anyone with an interest in UFOs is welcome to attend. For anyone who has experienced a UFO sighting or knows someone who has... This is the place to be. Meeting agendas, driving directions and tons of UFO information can be found at mnmufon.org. I would love to hear from you if you would like your business or product advertised live on more questions and answers, reaching the nation and beyond with informative, well-educated listeners of good taste and a love of the paranormal and all things oddly intriguing. You are listening to more questions and answers, which makes you very lucky, well-informed individuals of remarkably good taste. Well done and drinks all round. Just don't tell my mum and dad what I actually do. In the lyrics and the words of the reggae legend that is Johnny Nash, there are indeed more questions than answers. And the more I find out, the less I know, which means I'm probably less intelligent than when the show started. I'm your host, Adrian Lee, famous for being banned in Lithuania, for introducing the world to dirty hobo water, and sometimes the annoying inability to say, abominable snowman live Mm -hmm. on air. Welcome back for a second part of tonight's show. I have to gather myself, you know. I know know you do. (laughs) If you have just joined us, then where have you been? And what could have been more important? If you have stayed with me, then let me raise your spirits further by saying we still have. 50% of the show still to go. Hurrah! And a happy dance all around the bedroom. Just don't wake my mother up. I've been handed a fresh cup of tea and the promise of cookies. I have fresh flashlight batteries. And my mother has indeed stopped snoring. So onwards, we march. We are now into the third round of tonight's show. This is the round of Bizarre and Strange. And I shall start the ball rolling in this particular round. With the headline, Witch's Curse Blamed for Wirral Magazine pub fire. The landlords of a Merseyside pub, which was almost destroyed by a fire, believe a mysterious curse is to blame. The blaze at the 250-year-old Magazine Hotel in Wallasey caused $380,000 worth of damage and left managers Linda and Les Baxendale living in a caravan for three months. A small fabric witch figure which hung from the ceiling of the main bar was stolen two nights before the fire. And with a history of accidents befalling those who dare to touch it, the couple are convinced the two are connected. The official cause was a power surge which blew up the pub's fuse box starting the fire. Linda, 59, said part of the history of the pub is the two witches and the little devil, all made from brown felt, which were hanging by the bar. 
No one knows exactly how long they were there, and we don't know who gave them to the pub, but we think they were there for at least 100 years. They were covered in cobwebs and dust because we were told that if anyone touched them, bad things would happen to them. When they first moved in, they received an anonymous phone call warning them not to touch the witches. She said, we found out that a decorator took them down while he was working here in the 1970s, and he was then involved in a serious car accident at the top of the road. Phil once happened to touch the witch by accident, and the following day he fell through a trap door, leading to the cellar and broke his collarbone. Someone else fell over the following week and broke both their knees. It's spooky. If you break both your knees, don't come running to me, by the way. <laughs> we live above the pub, and on Sunday we woke up at about 7.45am to the sound of smashing downstairs. I thought someone had broken in and was using a baseball bat until Les went downstairs and found it was a fire. It was terrifying. If it wasn't for the prompt response of the fire service, the mags might have been burnt to the ground. The remaining witch and devil were found in the scorched remains of the bar after the fire. Belinda says they have since vanished. This sounds like the plot of a Hammer House horror film from the 1970s, doesn't it? You can just imagine this little old felt witch hanging from the bar, and if anyone touched it, you know, bad things would then happen to them. If this was just before the credits at the end of the movie, then they'll show them hanging somewhere else. Yes, you're absolutely right, in another place. And uh, if this was my bar, I would uh, get a pair of barbecue tongs and I would get the witch and I'd be throwing it at people like dodgeball and everyone would be running and screaming. It would be very funny. (laughs) So there we go. You're sick. It's fair way. Thank you. I take that as a compliment. Points all round. Kim, you shall have an extra one and I shall give myself four because I can and we're running a dictatorship. Um, I love the idea. You can just imagine a hundred year old little felt witch, can't you? And it's bizarre, though, that they, you know, the bit I like is where they said in the scorched remains of the bar afterwards, they found the little devil and the witch and then they went missing. <laughs> <laughs> They've been put in the garbage is what's happened. I'm not sure there's any mystery connected to that. Heather, I would like to see what you have for the strange and the bizarre, you are currently on five points, so everything That's fantastic. is to play. It's, it's a start for you. You're normally negative at this I stage. I know. I don't know what's going on. Grandpa writes his own humorous obituary. There's I'm nothing sh- funnier than an obituary, is there, to be fair? Well, he wrote his own. There. And I'm sure quite a few of you people out there have seen it on Facebook, but we're going to recap for those that haven't had it. I've not seen this, so this you is haven't? fresh for me. No. Yeah. Um, after Walter George Brule Jr. died Sunday at the age of 80. Now, this, was, this wasn't this last Sunday. It would have been the Sunday before. Um, his family discovered he had written his own obituary. The obit opens with Walter George Brule Jr. of Newark in Dewey Beach, Delaware, is a dead person. He is no more. He is bereft of life. He is deceased. He has rung down the curtain and gone to join the choir invisible. He has expired and gone to meet his maker. I recognize a bit of Monty Python. I, That's the I, dead. I like the way he's writing about himself in the third person as well. That's quite bizarre. Brule was married for 57 years to his wife, Helene who he said could now purchase the mink coat he had refused her because he believed only mink should wear mink, according to the obit. Brule requested that he be cremated since his wife refused to honor his request. 
to have him standing in a corner of the room with a glass of Jack Daniels in his hand so that he would appear natural to his visitors. Natural. There's nothing better, is there, than a taxidermied human being holding a glass. I think that gl- was quite evil that she refused to do that for him, but he is now allowing her to get the mink after he died. There's a big difference between allowing someone a fur coat and being taxidermied in your own house. I've seen Planet of the Apes. I know what goes on. That was a shocking moment. Uh, instead of flowers, Walt would hope that you will do an unexpected and unsolicited act of kindness for some poor, unfortunate soul in his name, Brule wrote. Wow. It makes sense to me that you would write your own obituary, because as a historian, one of the problems I've come across is that you get a date when someone died, and you go to the grave, and the date's different to the death certificate, And then the date is also different again in the obituary. I've seen occasions, especially going back to the 19th century, where you've got three different dates to choose from. If you write your own, then at least you're going to get it right, aren't you? Is the point. I mean, you don't know when you're going to die necessarily unless you take things into (laughs) your own hands. I was wondering where you were going with that. (laughs) I told you I was ill. Um, But there's a real sense there that, you know, at least you get it right. You know, as a writer myself, I'm actually now... You're not going to write your own, are you? Well, I'm starting to chew on the idea that it might actually be quite funny. I don't know. (laughs) Perhaps that's something something that... Limit it to 500 words. (laughs) (laughs) But if everyone's there, you know, I've got a captive audience at that point and I'm going to make the most of the situation. This is where we're going. You'd never know if you were dying on your ass. No, well, unless I was standing in the back in spirit looking to see who turned up. Well, she could have bloody well turned up and look at the face on her and I can't believe she's come out wearing that. Why didn't they laugh at that bit? Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got me thinking now. I might write an obituary this week just to see. Wouldn't that inspire you? <laughs> I posted you? up on your Facebook wall. <laughs> Everyone would think I've died, which I'm sure some people would probably be pleased about. But, you know, that would come as a shock to my parents, I might add. Um, yeah, that would be interesting because it'd give you a real sense of, of where you've come from and what you've achieved in life. I'm sure if most people now were to go away and write their obituary, I bet at the end of that, they'd think to themselves, do you know what? I need to go scuba diving. I need to go mountaineering. I need to visit other countries. I need to learn a language. There's a real sense, wouldn't it, that it'll put into perspective the things that you haven't achieved and what you then want to go on and do, I guess. It should be an exercise at school. Every English teacher should set that for homework. How's that? Oh, that's morbid. I don't remember what class or what grade, but I have done that in school. You went to school? Wow. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) My apologies. I shall give you points just because I feel quite bad about saying that, I guess. (laughs) What have you got for me, Kim, on the round of the strange and the bizarre? Mother says priest told her son to rot in hell. That's what you want from a priest, absolutely. He wasn't Catholic by any chance, was he? Yes. Yeah, he was. He had the smell of guilt and repression about him. Uh, Burlville, Rhode Island mother Dawn Jolie was angered when she learned that a priest aggressively berated her son Skyler during a Catholic confirmation class at Our Lady of Good Help. 15-year-old Skyler spoke about the treatment he received from the class instructor, Father Roman Manchester. All of a sudden, he just clicked like that, and then he said he hopes I rot in hell. Classmates confirmed Skyler's story, and other parents sent Miss Jolie Facebook messages saying that their children were scared and believed the priest to be possessed. Skyler began the confirmation classes in September and believed that he had a good report with the fathers, saying that the priest would even laugh at his jokes. When Skyler's dad picked him up from the class, the priest said that he was trying a new tactic with the kids, and yes, he did say those things. 
He wanted to try something new, try to get the kids to go to church more. Wow. That reminds me, as you're reading that, there are parts of the Bible that says that the devil and Satan will actually possess the righteous. So when Satan's delivering his message through the righteous, people have more inclination to believe it because it's going to pick people that are in high up positions and people that you would believe. So, you know, literally parts of the Bible would in fact back that up, which is quite bizarre. But I mean, obviously you can't go around saying things like that, especially if you're a man of the cloth and a cleric it's just ridiculous i i how did he think he was going to get away with that who knows you know and i've i've uh, been a teacher for many many years in britain in a former life and i've heard teachers say the most outrageous things to students stuff that i couldn't possibly repeat on air and then you're not going to be nothing more than a ditch digger well slightly <laughs> worse than that things to do with their mother and uh, you know how they were conceived i would suggest but certainly not things i would repeat live on air but, you know, that's just uh, disturbing. I just, you know, it'd be interesting to see what then takes place. But then within the Catholic Church, of course, there is a history of clerics and uh, priests behaving badly and nothing ever being done, of that's course. That's how so, he thought he'd get by with it. Yeah, it's uh, just through the, the the idea that previous people have already done that, I guess. But uh, what country was that in, does it say? Where does that, are you throwing your notes away now and I'm going to get you to... Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Okay. I know very little about Rhode Island other than the fact that it's the smallest state, of course, in America. I did wonder whereabouts that's coming from, but that is, uh, that's outrageous. I'm, I'm remarkable that should come up. I've got an interesting story here under the strange and the bizarre. This made me laugh and there are images and drawings of this online. If you gain you go to a Facebook site, our Facebook site, More Questions and Answers with Adrian Lee. I have actually posted the link, and there are photographs, uh, not photographs, there's photographs of illustrations that date back to the 15th century that are worth a look because it really made me laugh. It says, Fur flies over 16th century rocket cats warfare manual. <laughs> oh, it's July the 4th. It says, You're a 16th century German prince plotting to crush a peasant rebellion or perhaps you're a leading army general against the ottoman empire or settling a score with a rival nobleman what's a guy looking for a tactical edge supposed to do the answer of course is rocket cats fanciful illustrations from 1513 a manual on artillery and siege warfare seems to show jetpacks strapped to the backs of cats and doves with the German text helpfully advising military commanders to use them to set fire to a castle or city which you can get which you can't get otherwise. I've got this image of cats being catapulted over siege. Catapulted. Catapulted. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> Points to be had all round. I thought that may go unnoticed, but I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> can you imagine firing them over? It's Monty Python that gets it over over the walls of castles just makes me smile. I do like cats, I have to say, but I do find them very greasy. Not the raccoon kind. <laughs> no, not the raccoon kind. It says the answer, of course, is rocket cats. Um, I really don't know what to make of it, said Mitch Fraz, a historian and digital humanities expert at Penn Library. It clearly looks like there's some sort of jet of fire coming out of a device strapped to the back of the cats. What it actually goes on to say, these are fabulous little 15th century illustrations, and I do recommend that you see these cats whizzing about with little fiery jetpacks on it's just a joy to behold but uh, what it actually goes on to say in this particular text on artillery and siege warfare is that you should get cats that live in the castle 
And what you do is you put a device on their back in the hope that the cat then goes back to the castle and where it comes from, taking that with it. But I can't believe a cat would put up with that. I mean, cats are notorious, of course, for working on both sides. And it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that the cat, you know, would go up to the enemy and converse with them and then come back again and be an agent provocateur because I can just imagine a cat doing that. But I just find that remarkable. How long is a cat going to put up with having a fire on its back for? Because the Romans, of course, used to set light to pigs and then let the pigs loose into the enemy lines and uh, all the elephants and animals would just go berserk and that was a really good way and they'd still stay there because they smelled bacon <laughs> there'd be bacon <laughs> in large amounts look breakfast is arriving there you go fast food <laughs> quick grab a chicken <laughs> oh man <sighs> there are indeed more questions than answers and just for highlighting the fact that cats are whizzing around in 16th century manuscripts with jetpacks on i shall give myself two points which gives me a healthy rounded Number 10. We move on to the last round of the night, the round that everybody waits for, the round that will probably get us in trouble with all broadcasting companies at some point in the very near future. This is the round called Not For Your Mother. This is the round where you take minors out of the room, young children, people that are easily offended, and Kim's mother needs to be shuffled into a room next door with a hot chocolate, a blanket, and uh, some wet wipes, probably, if you're going to have a raccoon attack you and try and kiss you at some point. I see Heather has a stack of stories in front of us. So where would you like to start in the round? Not for your mother. You're on seven points at the moment. You're currently tied in second place with Kim. So everything is to play for. I'd like to go to San Antonio. There we go. San Antonio food trucks offensive name ruffles feathers. Candy Yoder is a chef and a food truck owner in San Antonio, Texas. Amongst her specialties is Asian fusion. There is no denying that the food looks appetizing. However, the San Antonio Express News reports some people are not happy with her. Why? The name of her food truck is getting people in a tizzy. It's called Caucasian. Ooh. I know. Uh, San Antonio Food Truck How many cocks can you manage before you're full, by the way? Can you get through a whole one, or do you need to get a doggy bag? Or Yeah, but you got to have another an hour later. Oh, ooh. <laughs> especially if it's cock, Asian. <laughs> San Antonio Food Truck Association President Keith Hills told the Express News that the port's officials Googled it to find out cock Asian's menu <laughs> and website. Their truck page is not what came up. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm sorry. What Wonder did... what came up. Well, it's something with Greg in it, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> we, thought, we thought the name could be offensive to others. Was Yoder going for an illicit pun with her name choice? She says, nope. The Express News quotes Miss Yoder as saying that the name has boundless meanings, none of which are sexual or a racial slur. Do you think anyone's ever said that cock's repeating on me? Has anyone got any tums? No. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I would be more than happy to discuss the basis of our name with them, she said. How's that spelt, by the way? Let's go back. Exactly how it sounds. Okay. I just thought I would check. You should have lots of points for saying the word cock several times live on air. And so an you... Asian one to boot. Well, there are many jokes there, but my mum said if I had nothing nice to say... <laughs> Not to say anything at all. It was just a little story. Kim, talking of little cocks, what have you got for me? (laughs) I can't help you in that department. (laughs) 
Oh, laugh it up. High fives all round. Yeah. Guess who's going to win tonight's show out of interest? Same person that does every time. There we go. Yeah, point. Oh, there's no good pointing. We're we're live on air. You can't. You can point as much as you want. Heather's giving me the idea that she's going to get one. Oh, I see what you're doing. It's not one point at all, is it? You're being rude to me. (laughs) Kim, jump in. There's a story itching to get out. (laughs) Florida man has sex with Pitbull in his yard as neighbors beg him to stop. Is it a male Pitbull or... Oh, there we go. Leave that dog alone, sir. Is it a male Pitbull or a female Pitbull? Doesn't say. See, there is a difference. I mean, if it was a female... Really? Well, if it's a male Pitbull, that's just sick. Yeah. (laughs) Let's hear. Well, it was a very lonely, miserable Saturday afternoon. And, you know, (laughs) one thing led to another and it was looking at me strangely. And, you know, this is where we are. It winked at you. Well, to be fair, she writes every week, so... Uh, Witnesses told police this week that they pled with a Florida man to stop having sex with his pit bull, bull, but he refused. Tampa police officers said that the witnesses flagged them down on Wednesday after 57-year-old Bernard Marcinick ignored neighbors who yelled at him for having sex with the animals in his yard. As if you'd do that in your yard. Surely you'd go into the bedroom and there'd be some Barry White playing and some romantic music maybe there and... uh... A little bit yeah. of foreplay. Yeah, I mean, you could take it for a walk first, rub its belly. I mean, there's... Dog treats too. Dog tr- well, uh, apparently Greg's aware of what's required at this point, but yeah. Throw a ball. Throw a ball, <laughs> watch it retrieve it. <laughs> Just like, that's better than so, That's better than most of the dates I've been on, actually. I have to say that. <laughs> I knew it was a rough date when she brought the ball back. <laughs> I just, you know, in your yard. I mean, we've got, a, we've got an element of exhibitionism here, surely. I mean... You well, know. and I'm wondering, too, because the final sentence in this article says eight pit bulls were, re- were placed in custody of animal services. Wow. He's cheating at that point, then. He is. And do the other do the pit bulls know about each other? <laughs> I mean, I'm jealous. You know, it's, it's, it's bad enough one, but I mean, he's got eight. That is means that, he's got po- eight mother Is that polygamy? It's what? Polygamy. Is that polygamy? Polygamy. Has he married them? Is it possible? It's always possible. We read a story one time about somebody who wanted to marry a pet. Was a goat. It was a goat. You're absolutely right. He did marry a goat. Yeah. There was a guy that married a camel. I mean, that was that's something I have come across before. And I just imagined, you know, the camel arriving with the veil and the wedding dress and all the makeup. Some sort of camel rouge. She probably. had some nice humps. <laughs> oh dear. You were doing so well, Heather. You have minus two points and you're now on seven. I have eaten camel, by the way, and that's that's quite a long story, but why um, we're just talking about a sexual story and you're telling us how you've eaten a camel I that's have. fantastic it's fabulous <laughs> what a night that was i bet he's had to eat crow too <laughs> I was, I've, I've never eaten a crow i've eaten rook do you know what a rook is they, yes. they yeah it's like it's in the crow family and uh that was pretty what miserable. piece of the chess puzzle is that <laughs> i'm not gonna you choke on a rook and you're in trouble aren't you <laughs> I um I have eaten rook. It's very gamey, and I was picking lead shot out of my teeth for a week afterwards. But I did eat a camel in North Africa in Tunisia, and it's a delicacy out there. And I would advise anyone who has the chance to eat camel to steer well clear of that particularly <laughs> particular delicacy. Because if you've ever been to the zoo and you've been to the camel enclosure, and if you can remember the smell of the camel enclosure, and you're getting a real flavour of that. Uh, that's exactly what it tastes like. And uh, in hot conditions in Africa, you are weeing and sweating the smell of camel for days after eating one. So I would advise anybody not to go near a camel. If ever get offered camel meat would be my best advice. I'm going to run 
now to a story from China. It says a young girl was rushed to a hospital after having difficulty breathing this week. Doctors were then shocked to discover a long worm living in her throat, hospital officials in China said. The doctor who treated the seven-year-old girl said they have removed the two-inch leech after living in the girl's throat for over two months. The girl of Yunnan said that she and her family often drink water straight from the faucet. Kim, ever had a two-inch worm in your throat recently? No. No, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. The girl was treated at the Kunming Children's Hospital on Monday. The parents of the child said that she'd been suffering from a sore throat for more than two months. We thought she had a bad cold. We never imagined that a worm was living inside her, the parents said. It is unclear how the worm got stuck in her throat. A surgeon said the worm grew bigger by sucking blood. The girl is now recovering and will soon be discharged from the hospital. The worm has yet to comment. Heather, you have a very distressed look upon your face. Any stories with worms? Are they... How do they multiply leeches? Well, they first buy you dinner and then they take you to the cinema and then daddy worm gets excited and mummy worm... (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Once... No, what is that? Are they... They lay eggs. Do they? Yes. They, they, they. So would they have had to treat her at all? Well, her? what I'm guessing is that there, it's a parasite, isn't it, basically? Right. So something she's drunk in the drinking water, parasitically, has obviously attached itself to her throat and over a period of two months has managed to swell itself to a large size by feeding on her blood is what's happened. Well, I was just concerned that it would multiply and I don't know how they reproduce, so... Well... Daddy gets very excited. No. Mummy, <laughs> mummy worm, mummy worm lays eggs, and then Daddy worm. Do you know when you see a worm and it's got a leg sack around its neck? You know, you must know which way the worm is because if you tickle its belly, you see which end is smiling. So you go to the smiley end, and then you see the egg sack, and its eye winks at you. That's pretty much what happens, and it pukes. I don't know if um, that's outrageous. I'm not, you're not getting away with that. I don't know whether worms are androgynous. Snails, for example, don't have a sex, do they? They're androgynous, I believe. I, I thought that was Or homaphroditic. One is you're both and one is you're neither. I think if you're neither, you're androgynous. And if you can you're choose both, a sex then, Yeah, that's right. You? So the snail meets another snail and uh, it says, well, I fancy being female this time. And the other snail thinks I'll have a go at being male. And, you know, one thing leads to another. And there's lots of little snails running around. And that's how that happens. Oh, You're looking disgusting. at me oddly. This is no. I, I saw the picture of that earlier on the story, and of, that was of just snail love. Not of snail love, <laughs> of of the little girl's worm in her throat. Snail that, love is going to oh. be very slow, isn't it? And methodical, I would suspect. That's not a quick thing, is it? Snail love. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't watch him make love. But uh, yes, that's a very distressing, and I'm glad the poor young lady has recovered. There was a television show in Britain not so long ago that I saw to do with parasites and it was full of these stories of people that had, you know, bloat fly larvae living in their head and things up their nose and there's snails in Nigeria when you go swimming that swim up your bottom, hold all night parties and keep you awake. It's incredibly embarrassing. You have to go to the toilet through a sieve to stop things swimming up and living in your bits and pieces. Well isn't the, is it in Africa or Brazil or something where they have those fish that go up your your, your pee peach, hole yes, and, up into your urethra, and then Franklin. They barb in it, so you can't even yank them out. You yeah, can no, die no, from that. you can do, and no matter how much you yank it, it's not coming out. So it's uh, it's a problem all <laughs> round, I guess, is what I'm saying. 
few it's, nights like that? The, well, you know, <laughs> it gets very lonely and cold in Minnesota, obviously. <laughs> you have one story <sighs> tonight a, left in the around. Can you understand now why we call this round not for your mother? <laughs> it's very short. I'm sorry to hear that. I know. Fifteen sex toys found on suspect, police say. Fifteen? Fifteen. What, like in pockets or in various I orifices? don't want to know where he put them. She's a Why very... would it be illegal? Why are we talking police? I, it because depends where they the are. man, the suspect, um, actually broke into an adult store in Olympia and had 15 sex toys in his possession when he was arrested. Oh. He, he may have had more, but they didn't find them at the she's time. She's a very busy girl. She's got three working offices. Oh, uh, officers responded to the burglary alarms early Sunday at the Lover's store. Found um, They found a 31-year-old David Powell nearby with the sex toys. I don't know where he was carrying them. The Olympian reports a judge found probable cause Monday to hold him on suspicion of burglary, you think? And he was released from the Thorston County Jail on a $2,500 bail. Was he a hardened criminal? <laughs> I knew that what was going to happen. What a fabulous way to end tonight's <laughs> wah, wah, wah. show. Let's go to the scores. All good things must, of course, come to an end. Greg, you are bringing up the rear. You are the K2 meter with the dead battery, despite your best cat and firework noises tonight. There is a tie for second and third place. Both Kim and Heather are on a resplendent nine points. But the runaway leader... For tonight's show and winning the $33,000 IR camera is me. I have 10 points. I made double figures, which is a rarity. I have not won this particular show for many, many months now. And of course, it since was about... Since last time. Since last time, I've made myself win. <laughs> See how this works? But of course, we are all winners here tonight. <laughs> Do not That's fear, terrible. listener. Remember, I'm back with a whole new bunch of stories next week at the same time where I'll be winning again. And I would love for you to join me for a fun and informative journey through the world of the paranormal, strange, intriguing, bizarre, and as you've just witnessed, plain weird. Please tell your friends and family about the show and feel free to contact me at any time via my Facebook site. More questions and answers with Adrian Lee. Or you can email me at mqta at rocketmail. Dot com. My gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to Lorna Hunter, Heather Morris, Jeton Drainer, Kim and Greg Gore, and all at the International Paranormal Society at intparanormal.net. And all of the show's sponsors, including the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group and MUFON of Minnesota. It just remains for me to say thank you for listening. And remember, be interested and interesting. Good night.